Howdy, friends. Welcome again to the Mic Check, the podcast where we seek to strengthen the church to make a stronger defense of the faith by biblically checking the unbiblical. My name is Mike Rule. I'm the pastor of Highlands Bible Church in beautiful Vernon, New Jersey. How are we to biblically process what is going on in Israel with the attacks by Hamas, the response by Israel, everybody seemingly on the brink of a larger multinational conflict? That's what we're going to be checking today. And so with that, let's roll. What happened recently? Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that on October 7th, thousands of armed Hamas fighters blew holes in the wall between Israel and Gaza and with other fighters in a huge coordinated attack. Uh, thousands of missiles being fired into Israel, um, people dropping from the sky with parachutes, uh, motorcycles, uh, air, land, and sea, killing close to now 2,000 um, Israelis, wounding many thousands more, of which, of course, are not only men, uh, military men, but women and children, and on top of that, taking Hundreds of hostages, uh, which we've seen just horrific footage of uh, in the news. The world has been shocked by the utter brutality of these events. Israel has, of course, responded immediately with thousands of missiles that uh, just have already just incurred lots of destruction over in Gaza, with much more suffering on top of that. And Israel seems to be getting ready for a full-scale ground invasion of Gaza, and the world is basically holding its breath. Many people are saying World War III is inevitable because, of course, there are larger nations that are attached to everything that's going on. We have the United States, of course, backing Israel, and by all accounts, we have Iran, backing um, Hamas and probably Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations. And so it's, uh, it is definitely a unique time and definitely a concerning time. And uh, I think we all feel some anxiety about it. But our job here on the mic check is to check what is going on biblically. And if we just kind of back up, just to set the stage here, a brief history on Israel and Gaza. Of course, there's been a long history of conflict between Israel and all of their neighbors. Israel itself was the promised land that God gave to his nation, Israel, after waging the holy war on Canaan. God originally gave that land to Israel. Yes, of course, you could say, yes, but they were Canaanites there first. Well, yes, but that was the reason that God chose that land, was God was waging a holy war against the Canaanites because of their sin, their iniquity, their idolatry, and he was going to give Israel that land. Way back in Genesis 12, God called Abraham, a pagan, of course, from a land very far away from Israel, and gave him this promise. And I'm going to read it from uh, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we read, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, uh, Canaan rather, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak at Moreh. And this time, at this time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. I just said that, sorry. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So right from uh, Genesis, we see that the Lord planned on giving his nation, Israel, this land. And so in, in the biblical worldview, we have to start there. When we start about who owns the land, who, whatever, originally God gave it to Israel. And of course, Israel has had conflict ever since. They, they came into the land in conflict, and they've known war ever since. Israel's very good at war. Eventually, of course, Israel was expelled from the land under the judgment of God for their sin and idolatry. They were exiled by the Assyrian Empire first, and then the southern Israel and Judah, was, uh, they were exiled by the Babylonian exile. They did make some returns, as we see in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We fast forward to the New Testament. Israel was under the occupation and control of the Roman Empire. And that's important to know is that after, after Israel's exile and, and whatnot, it, it, the promised land, Israel, Palestine, whatever you want to call it, has been the possession of many, many empires over the years. And so in the New Testament time, Israel was, of course, under the occupation and control of the Roman Empire, where some Jews had eventually resettled in and around Judea. Christianity had become dominant, but Israel, or Jerusalem rather, was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Israel had been overrun and dominated after that by many empires over the centuries. If we fast forward to the 7th century, for example, Islam begins to spread. The Dome of the Rock is built in Jerusalem on the ruin of the Second Temple, but we also saw according to history, that there are, are three of the world's largest, or three, the three largest religions in the world, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, living together under the Ottoman Empire in Israel. Fast forward to World War I, we have Zionism, we have uh, people wanting to create a Jewish state in Israel and settle there, and after World War I, they started to do that as the Ottoman Empire then was destroyed and the British Empire took over there. After World War II, Jews fled the Holocaust for Jerusalem, and uh, the British Empire basically turned it over to the UN after World War II. And we see in 1948, of course, the big event, Israel becoming a state. After the British Empire left, they declared themselves a state. This, of course, led to another war. A ceasefire agreement gave Israel the majority of the land. Uh, this is where we see the West Bank uh, being occup occupied by the Arabs. Egypt occupied Gaza. There were close to a million Palestinians who were expelled from Israel at that point. Fast forward to 1967, another, six another war, the Six-Day War. Israel won, and they took back those those disputed territories. They took back Golan, they took back the West Bank, uh, and they took back Gaza. We have then uh, Muslim-backed Arab forces coming to um, some sort of power and influence in the 60s and 70s. We have the Palestine Liberation Army, 
They warred against Israel to get their territories back. And uh, basically, fast forward to the Oslo Accords, which further split up the disputed territories, which uh, from my research looks like that's kind of where it ended up today. And Hamas started uh, after they took power from the PLO. They split from the PLO and they gained authority. And Israel has severely restricted Arabs in the disputed territories of uh, Golan Heights, uh, the West Bank, and of course, Gaza. And so this has been on the slow boil for a while, uh, just domestically in Israel. At the height of all of this, or maybe the center of all of this, is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the, the Dome of the Rock. And, and that is under Muslim uh, control, of course, as a mosque. And Israel has time and time again kind of pushed the boundaries there. And if you remember what Hamas uh, called this originally, the attack was the Al-Aqsa flood. And so you could see that it's tied directly to this kind of, uh, they made statements of, you know, it stops here. They have done, they've gone too far for too long. And so we can see that Hamas is simply just trying to uh, make a move here to get their territories back as they see them as their territories. And they're trying to reestablish their dominance. And it looks like that they have Iran uh, backing them in order to do this. And so that's what we saw blow up uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's been very difficult to watch. It's been nerve-wracking to watch. It's, it's been gut-wrenching to watch the suffering uh, frankly, on both sides that we see, of course, with Israel now uh, firing thousands of rockets into Gaza and seeing the destruction over there, is it's they're still humans, they're still image bearers, so it's no easier to look at suffering on uh, in Gaza than it is, um, you know, on the on the Israel side as well. So, a couple of things: how do we check this biblically? Okay, and this is really important because basically, anytime anything happens in Israel, and especially it seems like this time, because this is an event of such magnitude, Israel has not seen this loss of life in a conflict since the Holocaust, I believe. So this is huge. This is, this is very historically significant. And so, of course, people are saying all kinds of things about uh, what the Bible says about things like this. And so first, just a couple things. I don't really have these numbered. One, two, three, four, five, six. Looks like there's about seven things here for us. If I miscount, I'm sorry. But the first thing to think about is know your biblical and world history in context. As mentioned, Israel has been at war since they settled in the Promised Land. And so this, in a sense, is nothing new. Israel being attacked is nothing new. Even, unfortunately, the brutality that we see. Now, the scale of killing, of course, technology and military advancements, you know, missiles kill more people and we have more deadly weapons than we did in Old Testament times. But just the brutality of things in people attacking Israel is nothing new. There are very graphic passages recalling the gory events of the wars in Old Testament Israel, some of which we've even seen, seen again in this conflict the killing of infants, for example. What is new, of course, is the scale of casualties in light of recent history, and we said that. But also we've got to realize when we look at the biblical history, the world history and context, guys, this is so important. Israel today is not the Israel of the Old Testament. 
Israel today is not the Israel of the Old Testament. The Israel of the Old Testament, the Bible, even in the New Testament, right, was judged by God when Christ came to earth. He ended the Old Covenant by fulfilling it, and he started the New Covenant. So we talk about an everlasting covenant that God has with Israel. In one sense, yes, that's true, and we have to look at it, you know, somewhat in covenant theology, that Christ fulfilled that covenant. And so therefore, kind of the other thing is that that covenant's no longer in effect because Christ fulfilled it. So Israel of the Bible was judged by God when Christ came to the earth and ended the old covenant by fulfilling it and starting the New Testament. First, the leaders of Israel were judged. We can go back to Matthew 3, 7. Even John the Baptist, right before Jesus comes on the scene and starts his ministry, he says in Matthew 3, 7, he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, and he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The wrath to come is Jesus judging them as leaders and ending the old covenant by fulfilling the new covenant. Excuse me. Then, of course, the people of Israel were judged when the temple fell in A.D. 70. Nothing could be more clear that the Old Covenant has been fulfilled and is no longer in effect when the temple itself is a pile of rocks. There's no more priests. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more any of that. And, and, and that was the judgment that came in A.D. 70. And that we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. But that's maybe where a lot of people get tripped up is things like Matthew 24, which is predicting the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, not Jesus's return for the most part. And so takeaway, right, we cannot conflate the current modern day Israel with the Israel of the Bible. We have to know our biblical world history in the context of God's plan of redemption. Second, know your biblical worldview. And when we see stuff like this happen, we see people dropping biblical worldview words like evil. Even the president of the United States suddenly comes out and declares this as evil. But hold on. Okay, once you, once you drop that word evil, now you're in the territory of a biblical worldview. Because if you're going to call something evil, you need a standard of evil. And the only standard of evil is, guess what? God's law. That's the only standard of evil and sin is God's moral law. And so for the world, including our president, to decry what Hamas did as evil is inconsistent if they do not have a biblical worldview. And I would, of course, say that our president does not. Case in point, to decry the murder of innocent children in Israel when we abort thousands of them here in our country is woefully inconsistent. Another thing about evil, ultimate evil is Satan railing against God. This is spiritual warfare, right? We, we still see uh, Hamas railing against the people of Israel. I said it on Sunday, this is not so much about land as it is the destruction of Israel. They want Israel completely gone off the face of the earth. That's what they want. And that is ultimate evil. And of course, Satan is behind this as well. Also, in knowing your biblical worldview, we are swimming in a sea of liberalism and a liberal worldview with things like critical race theory and intersectionality and things that support the oppressed and, and calling people unsafe and doing harm and violence to us when we oppress them. And so if you're going to have that worldview and you're going to stick to it and you're going to be consistent with that, 
Guess what? You're going to have to stick up for the oppressed. And who are you going to see as oppressed? You're going to see Hamas as oppressed. And that's why we see protests erupting on college campuses in the United States, such as Harvard, that condemn Israel's, quote, colonization and support Hamas. Why? Because they're being consistent to their worldview, which in one way, at least they're being consistent with their worldview because their worldview is all about sticking up for the oppressed, and they consider Hamas oppressed. But hold on here. What are you actually supporting? You're actually supporting a terrorist organization that's doing insufferable evil and, and, and harm to people. And so be very careful. Know your biblical worldview and know what's going on. The air that we breathe is a liberal worldview that's going to always support the oppressed. We also can't have an atheistic, materialistic worldview and decry anything of this as evil. Right? Because again, going back to what we said, what's your standard? From an atheistic or materialistic worldview, there is no standard. Hamas thinks what they are doing is not evil. Hamas thinks what they are doing is good. So from an atheistic or materialistic worldview, you don't have any ground to stand on to call this evil either. Because if truth is all relative and we can't totally know truth, uh, what is Hamas doing? Because they think it's true, but we're calling it evil. Third, Know your just war theory from the church fathers and reformers. And a big thank you to the folks at Ligonier who had a great video on this. Uh, the just war theory, thinking justification for war, uh, as put forth by Augustine and later Aquinas. The principle is that all wars are evil. Why? Because there are innocent people that we will be killed or wounded. It's As we can see on the news, it's unfortunately not just about uh, Israel and Hamas, the fighters themselves, right? It, it, innocent people are being killed. Collateral damage, as it's called. It's awful. The grand exception to all wars being evil is God's holy war. And we can look on where we started with God's holy war on Canaan, using the Israel army to settle them there. That wasn't evil because that was God's. But there are no holy wars outside of God. And yet Islam, one of the biggest differences, of course, with us and Islam, is that they believe this is a holy war. But this is not. It's worth being said, of course, that Christianity is not about spreading the faith through warfare. And so we would never condone that. Along with just war theory, all wars are evil, but not everyone's involvement in a war is necessarily evil. Just War Theory says we have a right to defend the innocent from invaders. And we think about Pearl Harbor, we think about Ukraine, and in this case, we think about Israel. We even think about ourselves defending our home. We are justified in the use of force to protect ourselves from harm. Psalm 1834 says that he trains our hands for war. War is all over the Bible. We see it. And so Israel is justified in defending itself against invaders, in this case, Hamas. When we talk about just war theory and we talk about war itself, right, we talk about the government. And God has established the government rather, to bear the sword to care for people. Romans 13.4 tells us that he, the government, is God's servant, God's deacon, literally, God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What the state is supposed to do in bearing the sword, so our military, our police, what, what really the state is supposed to be doing is enforcing God's moral law and, to an extent, his civil law as it applies in principle. And, of course, we've gotten way off that, and so we know that's not, and that's not what they're doing. But still, that's what they're supposed to be doing. This includes our military. And so the military is God's servant for good, and he doesn't bear the sword in vain. There's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So just war theory says, yes, we do have to have men with guns and men with swords that will protect the innocent. Our military, unfortunately, has been deflated. Look at the awful pullout from Afghanistan, which... I don't, I don't have any sources for this, but you got to know that some of that stuff that we left behind in Afghanistan is made it, has made it into the hands of Hamas or Hezbollah or, or something, someone similar. We need a strong military. This means we need strong, physically strong, spiritually strong, emotionally strong men. This means we need a government to be strong and to support them. Third, we need to know biblical eschatology and prophecy. And this is really important, and this might be the bullseye for a lot of people, right? Because we have, we, open up YouTube, open up Twitter. Well, don't, unless you want to get mad. But you will see people saying all kinds of things. And even in casual conversation, right? People will say, well, we must be near the end now. Look at what's going on. Is this a sign that the end is near? Keep in mind where we've traveled already. Israel has been at war since its inception. People attacking Israel is nothing new. And then ask yourself, well, what specifically are you talking about? What biblical prophecies are you speaking of? Again, if you're talking about Matthew 24, if you're talking about nation rising up against nation and wars and rumors of wars, that was fulfilled. That was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Roman Empire came and kicked in Jerusalem's front door and wrecked the temple. You can go there today and still see it. It's a pile of giant rocks. And remember, wars happen every day. Wars and rumors of war happen every day. This is just a really big one. And so is Jesus's return nearer? Does this indicate that Jesus's return is nearer or imminent well, there's a, a generic sense, an overarching sense where we can say, well, yes, because every day Jesus's return is nearer. But in a larger sense, in a specific sense, I would say no, because what evidence do we have? This is where the dispensational, pre-trib, secret rapture folks go crazy. Uh, say that uh, this tells us that the end of the world is very near that we are living in warp speed, that prophecies are being fulfilled before our very eyes, and the signs are all there. Except if you look into that theology, there actually are supposed to be no signs because it's supposed to, Jesus is supposed to secretly appear and secretly take the elect, his church, away before the tribulation. I do not believe that we are living in warp speed and that prophecies are being fulfilled before our eyes. We do not practice newspaper or uh, news uh, site eschatology. We do not look to the book of Revelation and compare it to what's going on in the news and, and line things up. We can't do that. And I will tell you that a pre-trib secret rapture uh, 
eschatological end times position is a very, very dangerous position to hold. Please, you hold if you hold that position, I'm not hating on you. I'm just begging you to look into it. It's a very new position, less than 100 years old. Historically, the church has never held this position, and there's a reason for that. I believe it really focuses on us. It focuses on our escape instead of the true hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And balance that with the words of Jesus, where he himself says, But concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And that is in Matthew 24 as well. Next, know that this is a time for leadership. When things like this happen, we see good leaders rise to the occasion and speak clearly and take decisive action. And we see not so good leaders waffle, talk and double speak, and not really know how to deal with this. And, and think what you want of the prime minister of Israel. Um, but he took uh, decisive action and spoke with very clear words immediately. And I'm going to have to say, in contrast to our president, who says one thing out of one side of his mouth and another thing out of the other side of his mouth, we do not have a president who is a strong leader. And I say that to say that he needs our prayers. We need to pray for our country. We also need men who are ready to lead and ready to defend. I am not for a second going to say, oh my gosh, you know, all of this is going to come upon us in America. But I will tell you, Let's look at it from a, another perspective. We have wide open borders right now. And you can't tell me that there aren't terrorists that are pouring through those borders in one way, shape, or form. So especially men, we've got to have our heads on a swivel. We've got to be looking to protect innocent people around us. And, and that's a calling that I believe we have from Scripture. God's law tells us not to murder and whenever we look at God's law, God's moral law, we look at the command, so it tells us not to murder, but we also look at the flip side of that command. And so what does that mean? That means we do everything possible to protect human life, all human life. That's why we care about abortion. That's why we care about sexual trafficking. That's why we care about um, our, our senior citizens. Why? Because people are made in the image of God, imago Dei. And so, yes— I, Let's call it what it is. I believe that's a biblical reason that we need to be ready to protect ourselves. That we need to uh, not, about, not worry about just protecting ourselves or even one's family, which yes and amen to those, but any innocent life. And I believe according to God's law. So it is a time for leadership. It's a time for men to be ready uh, to protect. We need everyone to understand the times without panic. Next, we need to know that these things do remind us, while, uh, while I would not say that this puts us any closer to Jesus's imminent return, church, it should remind us that Jesus will return someday. We look at these events, we have to rationalize some of these things against a biblical worldview and say, yep, this tells us that evil is alive and well, like we needed a reminder of that, but we just got a really sobering reminder of that. Our job is not to predict when Jesus will return and, and worry about our secret escape. Our job is to be the church. Our job is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Our job is to be the kingdom of God, the kingdom outpost of God here on earth. He might not return for another 10,000 years, but events like this that break into the news and break into world history on this scale, and we will be talking about this for decades to come, it does remind us that Jesus will return. 
someday. And last and most importantly, know that this is a time for the gospel. Unfortunately, all war ultimately comes from sin. All war that we see is a result of our hearts warring against our Creator. And the only peace available, the only peace that will fulfill completely, comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we really need is we really need Hamas, we really need Israel to repent and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and be made new. That's the way to peace. I'm not saying we don't pursue peace now. Of course we want to do that. But it's going to be a tentative peace until hearts are transformed, until people turn themselves over to Jesus Christ for a new heart. And that will bring peace. We see evil in the news. We've got to combat that with the perfect good of the gospel. And so it's a time for the gospel. Know that this is a time for the gospel. And church, be praying. Be praying, of course, for those who are suffering in the midst of everything that's going on on a scale that we in America can't even imagine. But be praying for salvation. There are churches on the ground in in Jerusalem that are preaching the gospel. Pray for those churches to be able to to have uh, an effect to uh, for fruitfulness for people to turn to Christ in the midst of all of this. And so some things for us to think about as we try and biblically process what's going on in Israel. Well, I hope that you have found some of these thoughts helpful as we try and biblically process what's going on in Israel. As always, we would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at mike at themikecheckpodcast.com. You can also go to the website at themikecheckpodcast.com and fill out the Contact Us form. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Highlands Bible Church, you can visit us at highlandsbiblechurch.org. We are also on Instagram and Facebook, as is the Mike Check Podcast. Until next time, though, keep checking the unbiblical with the biblical, and we will see you next time on the Mike Check. When I see-